If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 20. Genesis 20. And as you're turning there, I would like a little participation, a little interaction. Just because you answer a question doesn't mean you're a nerd or something like that. But we have been studying in Big Church, and that's the technical name for it, the book of 1 John. And Tom often mentions that it's cyclical. Uh, we're, we're talking about love again, and that keeps coming back up. There's certain things. Well, in the life of Abraham, there are certain truths, there are certain applications and implications that keep coming back up, all right, that keep reoccurring. And today is no different, but I wanted just to take a moment and let's think about the life of Abraham. We've been going from Genesis 12, we're all the way to Genesis 20, we're almost done. What are some big picture things that you have learned or that have stood out to you and go ahead raise your hand speak loud and if they can't hear you I will repeat what they say Gresham yeah Abraham is not a perfect man and put you on the spot Gresham why do you think God clearly shows us that yeah to show how much we should depend on God. I mean, Abraham is the patriarch of God's people. And he, he sinned. He made poor decisions. It doesn't depend on Abraham. It depends on God. All right, what else? Some big picture things. Lily, you yawned. Does that mean you have an answer? You don't have to answer. That's okay. I almost picked Julia because she did this. She almost tricked me. Other things you've learned? Yes. And every single one of you knew that before we started this study, right? That God's will for our life is the best course of action. And that he's sovereign. But we need these reminders from the Bible. And we can look at Abraham and say, well, God wants you to do this. And you did that. Pfft, dummy, it didn't work out for you. Well, then we look at our own life and we say, oh, I, God wants me to do this, but man, I'm really tempted to do this over here. What are some other things? Yeah, Lily. Yeah, so faithful. And sometimes we can feel alone. We can feel downtrodden, sad, depressed, all of those things, but God is always faithful. Sometimes when we sin against him, we need to remember that he is still faithful to us. What else? And I know a lot of you are thinking about Wabi's lessons, and there's lots of things to apply. So go ahead. You probably have those memorized, all right? Yeah, Will. God is just, all right? He hates sin. He hates sin. But this world is full of sinners. And God is patient, but he's also just. He will execute his wrath. Krista? Yeah, God listens to us. Isn't that amazing? That's great. Alice? He keeps his promises. And we've talked a number of times about what has God promised you. He's going to keep it. So you need to live in light of that. Okay? So uh, we, got, we got two guys that shared. Any other strapping young lads that have something burning in their mind? Oh, yeah, Wyatt. Yeah. God is our only hope. God is our only rescuer. Mr. Sears? 
Yeah, genuine care for those that are his children. You see the, the beautiful, you know, the, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. Do you not see that fleshed out in the life of Abraham? Well, Christian, it's the same thing with you. In Genesis 20, the title of our lesson is Abraham's Conflict with Abimelech. Abraham's Conflict with Abimelech. And when I talk about things that reoccur, we already had a lesson in Genesis 12 where Abraham had a conflict with who? Or whom, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. Conflict with somebody, who was it? Lot is, is in 13 when they decide with the close, Sam? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, right? And you remember the story from Genesis 12. There was a famine in the land. So Abram and Sarai, before they were Abraham and Sarah, they go down to Egypt. Well, why Egypt? Well, Egypt has the Nile. So they have water for their crops. And so there's food. But when they go down, Abraham told Sarah, hey, if anybody asks, you're my sister. You're my sister. And so Pharaoh found out about this attractive 60 to 70 year old lady. All right. And he took her and made her part of his harem, part of his group. All right. And we don't know. It doesn't seem like Abraham said anything or raised any objections or, you know, if someone came and took your wife, you think you might, you know, throw hands or something like that. But God intervened and sent plagues on the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh was like, what, what's going on here? And then he finds out that Sarah is actually Abraham's wife. You see, to God, Abraham and Sarah were important. The promised line, the seed was to come through them. And if he did not intervene in this conflict, well, then that would never happen. Pharaoh finds out and says, Abraham, why'd you do this? Take her back, all right, and get out of here. And he left and he went back. Well, here we have a very similar story, but it's with a man named Abimelech. Genesis 20. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. And keeping in mind, you have this whole area of Israel that's been promised to him. It's not called Israel yet. It's the promised land. But there are still peoples, there are still nations living within this area. And this was just after Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Look at uh, 19 verse 27. It says, Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and to all the land of the valley. And he saw, behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. So God had come to Abraham, said that Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be judged. Uh, Josiah taught on that passage on Wednesday when they, it was destroyed. He comes back to the area where he was talking with God, looks down, and he sees it all in rubble, ashes. Verse 29, thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. It says Lot went up from there and stayed in the mountains. And you know that old creepy gross story and all those things that happened at the end of 19. And then we get to chapter 20. He now is going to pick up and he's going to move around some more. I don't know if the, the memory of it was, was too harsh or whatever it is. But he just felt the need that he needed to, to move around some. 
And it says, Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And I, I failed to mention the first seven verses are the conflict. Verses 8 through 17 would be the resolution. So we are in the conflict phase. At this time, Sarah's in her 90s. She's already said that she is old and past childbearing. They're still waiting for the promised child of Isaac to be delivered. But here we go, same story, second verse. This king wants her, all right? So ladies, there's hope even in your 90s. Wants her, so he takes her. He takes her. And we're going to read in this, and a lot of people kind of paint Abimelech as kind of like the victim in what happens here. Okay, if you're a king, it is never okay just to take people and, and marry them. Let's just write that down, all right? So there's not any innocent parties in this, except you feel for Sarah, right? Who's caught up in the middle of all of this. This time, God doesn't send plagues. It says, but God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man. Okay, now it seems cool that God would visit you in a dream. But imagine he did and he said, you're a dead man. Why? Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. God is a just God. This is a foreign concept to the nations, right? Look, you, you want to commit adultery? Just go ahead and commit adultery. You want multiple wives? Just whatever it is, all right? But this is God's people and this is God's law. It says, no, you cannot take a married woman. Verse 4, now Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? And we know the not come near her is a kind Sunday school way of saying certain things. Verse 5. Did Abraham himself not say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. He said, look, I didn't know she was married. I just took her. I didn't know that. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. And now we look at that word integrity. And remember, there's a Hebrew word that's been translated into the English word integrity. And it just means without guile. Basically, God says, hey, I know that you didn't know she was married. I know that part. Now, that doesn't excuse the other thing about just taking someone and making her wife type of deal. But I know there was no deceit in your heart when you took her. It says, I have also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Verse 7. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So that, that's the conflict. That's what's going on. Very similar to the last time, but instead of the plagues, there's a dream. And what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to walk through the resolution, and then I'm going to come back to the whole chapter, and we're going to walk through some application points, okay? So here we are, the resolution. The resolution is no surprise. It's essentially do what God says. Do what God says. And we face this resolution all the time. You have a problem? Do what God says. You don't have a problem? Still do what God says. And then it's a matter of, are you going to do 
what God says. Verse 8, so Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. Now, I don't know what type of dream this was. But it was crystal clear to him that this is God himself coming in a dream. We have a dream and we're like, I, I can't remember. Did I kill the clown or the clown kill me? And was I flying or was I floating? And all of those things are hazy. But this is God's dream. Right? And it is crystal clear. And he gathers everyone around. Now, if someone gathered you around and said that God came to you in a dream, you're probably like, woo, woo, woo. But he was so convinced that this was true. And we, we learn later some of the circumstances on why he realized it was true coming up. Told all of them this, and the men were greatly frightened by a dream. A dream greatly frightened you? This is something supernatural. There is something genuine about this dream. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing what have you encountered well Abraham was probably thinking well I I know that people like to steal people and marry them so I'm afraid of my life he says this in verse 11 Abraham said because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife besides she actually is my sister the daughter of my father but not the daughter of my mother and she became my wife and we go yes I know ooh, creepy so different um, you know, stepsister or half-sister, so to speak. This is something that's going to be outlawed in the Mosaic Law coming up, different times and starting points. Remember, he was called while an unbeliever, right? And he's saying, so it's not all a lie here. It's not all a lie. It says, it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me everywhere we go. Say of me, he is my brother. Verse 14, Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. So one thing that's different, Abimelech, uh, Pharaoh said, man, get out of here. Go back home. I don't want to see you. Abimelech is connecting the dots with God a little bit more. Like this is a guy I want on my side. Okay, we've had this disagreement here. No harm, no foul. Let's wash our hands. Same time, same time. All right. And I'm going to give you some stuff. I want you to go pray for me. And you can live wherever you want. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you and before all men you are cleared. He's like, this is my way of saying that we did not have sexual relationships. All right. And that there is, there's, there's no animosity. Verse 17, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. And this is the first time that we go, ah, huh. What? All we knew about was a dream. What do you mean God healed Abimelech? It says Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. 
For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So this is the missing piece of the puzzle on why the dream was so vivid and real and validated. Abimelech and his household, they were not conceiving. And so that's why they had been going through this. Now, this kind of helps with the time frame. Because it sounds like, hey, he took her on Monday. And on Tuesday, God came in a dream. We don't know exactly how long this was. But this is probably months that this was going on. And they, uh, so much that they could tell that there was something wrong. That there was an issue. And for a king, for a ruler, not to be able to produce any offspring, that is an issue. That is a problem. I want us to now look at some truths to apply. Because we understand this chapter, it's not real confusing as, as some of the others might be. Some truths to apply. Number one. Abraham is still wrong to deceive in this way. Abraham is still wrong to deceive in this way. And here we have a living picture of Abraham getting another opportunity to do something right. And he just repeated the same mistake. And remember, it's easy for us with our rose-colored glasses to look back on Abraham and say, Come on, man. Didn't you learn the first time? Didn't you learn the first time? Remember we talked about the, the suit of armor, the golden parachute that Abraham has? There is no Isaac, right? Isaac's not there. So if Abraham went to this land and said, This is my wife. Deal with it. Could Abimelech do anything to him? No, because God is faithful. God always keeps his promises. And he already said, within a year, you're going to have a child. But he doubted. He was scared. Are there any lessons in your life that you have to learn over and over and over again? Are there any sins that you struggle with in a repeated way? It's easy for us to look at Abraham and say, come on, dummy. Why didn't you trust God this time? But then we look at our own life. Am I trusting God? Are there things that I need to keep learning? I need to keep growing in? God may put us in challenging situations to grow us and to glorify him. And when we are in those challenging situations, he wants us to have integrity. He wants us to be truthful. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be a beacon and an example for his glory and who he is. We don't need to negotiate. We don't need to be deceitful. We don't need to put on a face or a front. This, with the challenge... Do not use sin as a way of escaping. Do not use sin as a way of escaping. Hey, uh, your teacher, teacher called and said you didn't turn in that assignment. Oh, oh no, yeah, I, I turned it in. She, she must have lost it. 
well, well, you're my child. I mean, I trust you. So, okay, yeah, she must have lost it. You don't, you don't need to double down, just like when Sarah laughed and denied it, right? Just, just, let's just own up to it. Let's own up to it and take the responsibility that's there and trust God for what's going to happen. This is something where God is, is orchestrating the events of Abraham's life. And he's putting Abraham in a situation very similar to what he faced like, what, 25, 30 years ago, right? And Abraham does the same thing. And he does it in the same way. And all sin is a lack of faith in God. It's a reliance on self. And so we learn from this and we say, God, whatever circumstance you put me in, I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to glorify you in it. I'm not going to use sin to get out of things. Number two, the king was wrong to take that which was not his. The king was wrong to take that which was not his. And why is this so important, right? Abraham is being groomed to lead a nation. His people are going to become a nation. Remember, we looked at the whole uh, inclusion on the decision of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that was God's way of teaching Abraham how a nation does things, how a ruler does things. Well, the people of Israel are to read this for generations to come. And those kings should say, yeah, that king didn't even ask if he could marry her. He just took her. And they're to look at these things and they're to say, nope, that's not us. That is not the way the nation of Israel is supposed to operate. In fact, he already, we know in, in verse 17, he already has a wife. It says, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids. Well, why did he throw in the and his maids? Well, they are part of his harem. The king is to have one wife because it's God's plan for marriage. One man and one woman. So he's not completely innocent in this. Look, at, look again when it says, uh, let's go to verse 4. Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. He's talking about the not sleeping with her. He's not talking about the taking her. But catch this. I also kept you from sinning against who? Me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. We are very familiar with the word total depravity. The word total depravity comes from the reality that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, right? We are bad to the core. There is nothing good in us. We are dead in our sins. But total depravity doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. We're not as bad as we could be. Because on one hand, you're like, well, okay, well, the king didn't at least do that. What, we get gold stars for not committing adultery now? That's it? Here you go, here's your cookie or something along those lines? He would have slept with her, just like Pharaoh did, if God didn't put the kibosh on it. 
Now, why would God be so careful to do that? What's supposed to happen within a year? Isaac. They didn't have paternity tests back then, people. So God wanted to be very clear that Sarah was kept pure in this. And I love that. He didn't say, I kept you from sinning against Abraham. I kept you from sinning against who? Me. All sin is an affront to God. It is against God. Is it wrong to take Abraham's wife and sleep with her? Yes, but it is not just a sin against Abraham. It's ultimately a sin against God. So God restrained the evil, wicked person. So they were not completely as wicked and evil as they could have been. We learn from this that if we're in positions of leadership, we should exercise justice and righteousness and grace. The last truth that we're going to look at, number three, Abraham and his descendants will be the intercessors. Abraham and his descendants will be the intercessors. What do we mean by that? Go back to verse 7. Now therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He's a prophet. The role of a prophet is to take the direct revelation of God and to teach it. So Abimelech does not know the, the one true God. He does not know who Yahweh is. He is not a follower. Abraham is. And Abraham has received direct revelation and he now speaks for God. And he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die and all who are yours. We need to remember that there is nothing special about Abraham. He is a sinner. But he is the one that is to intercede on Abimelech's behalf. God is here. Abimelech is here. How is Abimelech to be right with God in this instance? Well, he has to go through Abraham. He has to go through Abraham. Look at verse 17. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. Isn't this interesting? This interesting. Abraham doesn't have, he has Ishmael, but he and Sarah can't conceive. But he is praying on behalf of a nation so that they can what? They can conceive. If you were drawing up the picture of someone that you wanted to pray so that you would have kids, you'd be like, you know what, let me find the dude that can't have kids with his wife. And that's the one. It's the same thing when it comes to righteousness. The, the main person who has sinned in this chapter is Abraham. And Abimelech's got beef with him for a good reason. But God says, I want you to go to Abraham because he will take your repentance and your request and he is the one that will bring it to me and then I will act upon it. Why didn't God just in the dream 
take Abimelech's repentance and say, you're good to go, buddy. This is a teaching lesson for Abraham, and it's a teaching lesson to all the nations around that God chose Abraham not because Abraham was good, not because Abraham was righteous, but he chose him and he set him apart, and if you want to be right with God, where do you got to go? To the people of Abraham. Because that is where the promised seed is going to go through. The promised seed is going to go there. Jesus is the ultimate intercessor. When I repent of my sin and place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one that washes me. He is the one that redeems me. He is the one who justifies me in the eyes of the Father. And Abraham here represents Jesus in this. What do you think the word on the street about Abraham is after this story? You think the nations talk? What's going on with Abimelech's kingdom? Man, they couldn't have kids. Well, why not? Dude, he took Abraham's wife. Ah, his wife? I thought that was... Okay, another story for another day. But it, but it gets around... And so, you don't want to mess with Abraham. He's got a special connection with God. You don't want to mess with him. But if you want to know about God, you need to go. It reminds me of Naaman. Remember Naaman, the Assyrian, and he had leprosy. And he was a high-ranking official. And the people said, look, you got, you got to go to Israel. There's a prophet there. You got to go talk to this prophet. Why? Because God had done miracles through the prophet and so that he was bringing people to him. But I want you to think for a moment. How much better could Abraham have represented God if he had behaved differently? Right? Sometimes when we sin, it still works out. Okay? It still works out because God is forgiving and sovereign and gracious and awesome. How much better, let's say Abraham rolls into town and they, he says, this is my wife Sarah. And then they go try to take Sarah. And then God comes to it in a dream and says, whoa, 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 you better give her back. And in all of this, Abraham had integrity and faithfulness and courage. He would have represented God all the better. So don't look at this and say, look, I, I can still just sin. And still be a light for Christ. Well, on one sense that's true because we can represent repentance. We can ask for forgiveness. If you're waiting to be perfect before you open up your mouth and share the gospel, it ain't never going to happen. But how much clearer is our testimony when we hold fast, we hold true, and we do the right thing. And then we point people to Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. That's what he's working out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the truths that we learn in Genesis 20. A lot of them are very similar to Genesis 12. But here we are about 25, 26 years later learning the same lesson. I pray, Father, that we personally would learn the lessons to trust you, to be a light to you, to be courageous for you. We would learn it today and that we would execute that. And that we would point people to Jesus who is the intercessor for all of the nations. 
and that our light would bring others to your son Christ. We love you and we thank you for your mercy and your patience. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.